What Filmmaking Trailblazer is here with me today to talk about some of her favorite songs of the moment? You're about to find out. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Select 5, a periodic podcast that introduces you to Bay Area creatives and culture makers through a conversation about five songs that matter to them. This is Pam Torno. I'm your host, refreshed and ready to re-engage in the world one song at a time. And we're starting off on a high note for our very first episode of this still new year because selector number one for 2024 is a highly acclaimed filmmaker who lives right here in Oakland. She is the award-winning Cheryl Dunier, a writer, producer, and director whose work spans decades and includes the groundbreaking 1996 film, The Watermelon Woman. That was her debut feature and the first feature to be written and directed by an out black lesbian. Cheryl has more than a dozen short and feature length films under her belt. And in 2016, she was named a recipient of the prestigious Guggenheim Fellowship in the field of filmmaking. Uh, These days, she's become well-known as a director of episodic TV shows, ones you might be watching right now, like Queen Sugar, The Umbrella Academy, Lovecraft Country, The Shy, Bridgerton, and Dear White People, to name only a few. Uh, plus, she currently runs her own production company, the Oakland-based Jingletown Films, which amplifies diverse and underrepresented stories and filmmakers. And I'm super grateful she's taken time out of her very busy schedule to tell us about some of the music that moves her. Cheryl, it's a real honor to have you. Thank hey, you. so happy to be here. Yeah. On this you know, um, lovely, lovely morning. Yeah, um, okay. in this lovely space. Yes, I love Barshi Room. Yeah, we all places. love it. Yep, yep. Um, well, I wanted to get to know you a little bit more. So I know you were born in Liberia. You grew up in Philly, but Oakland has been your home for, for many years now. You, you, like I mentioned, you set up your production company here. You named it after a neighborhood in Oakland, Jingletown Films. What do you think it is about the town and the creative community here that keeps you here as a filmmaker? Well, that's really interesting uh, that you asked that. I mean, Oakland is full of stories that have not been told. I love stories that haven't been told, obviously. I'm a storyteller. Um, and I've been one since, you know, I was born. You know, I was I, I, I have the gift, as people say, you know, some people say. Um, actually, the gift was being born in Liberia to uh, uh, an African tribal chief. If you really want to know who, who my father was. Um, beyond, you know, colonization and all these other stories. But when... You know, the root of it is I'm a tribal chief's daughter. So I always felt special that way as a young, a young crazy Cheryl growing up in Philly. But um, here I am in Oakland. Uh, it's totally a sister city to, to uh, Philadelphia where I grew up. Lots of people of color, diversity, um, cultural production is, you know, what lives and, and beats on the streets um, Philly's uh, history with uh, music uh, goes deep and strong. We have the Philly sound. We have um, lots of classical music was there. Different time periods of of black song from religious to to whatever. So that really drove, you know, what I heard in the Watermelon Woman, younger artists as well. And and then, you know, people that I heard on the street of Philly. Um, and that's really what I, I, I feel about Oakland, you know, and finding my, you know, loved spots like Barshiru, where we are right now, that plays not only um, contemporary music, but um, deep dives. And I love an archive and a deep dive. So 
um, whenever I come here, I get to hear the whole album of, you know, something really special, you know, some, some, you know, something from the church, from the soul, from deep culture, that's things that people have sampled or haven't even, you know, sampled yet. So, um, cultural storytelling is what, what's in the Bay and it's visually, uh, pleasing as well as audibly pleasing. And, and here we are. How long have you lived here? I've lived in the Bay Area for, oh, maybe 10, 12 years now. Okay, um, yeah. So it's, it's my, my home for sure. Yeah, yeah. Your roots, your roots are here now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm still, I'm still thinking about The Watermelon Woman because I, I watched it for myself um, a few months ago. I know it's a film that you made in the mid-90s, it's, um, it, but it has all this staying power. I know that it was inducted into the Library of Congress uh, National Film Registry in 2021. It was just added to the Criterion Collection last year. Um, For those who haven't seen it, it stars a young Cheryl who plays a fictional version of herself, uh, a Black lesbian filmmaker who is making a documentary about the hidden history of Black and queer actresses in the 30s and 40s, uh, who played uncredited mammy roles. So it's got that documentary style with the interviews. It's got archival stuff, but it also centers on Cheryl's love life and interracial dating. So it's kind of a rom-com too. And so it's a fictional film that tells the truth about so many things that we rarely see in movies, which is a filmmaking style that you call Dunye Mentory. And it's a style that you've maintained in a lot of other films you've made. I just watched Black is Blue, which is another Dunye Mentory. Um, what do you think is so powerful about hybridizing documentary and fiction? How do you, how do you get it to work so well? Um, I have many tricks that I'm, I'm not going to give away at the moment. I think <laughs> this is about music, but, um, truth is fiction and fiction is truth. So, I mean, we don't believe real things that are happening to us in our lives, but, um, the minute that we get them out of our head and tell somebody else that becomes a fiction because it's not really what happened. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of pushed that to the max and, and really kind of looked at my life that way and look at, looked at, you know, wanting to tell my own story that way and wanting to be a part of my own ism. Um, You know, it's moved through a variety of isms in the sense of wanting to be more, you know, of certain parts of communities, you know, more Hollywood or more queer or more this and that. But right now I'm into my own, as you said, a Dunye Mantri, a Cheryl-ism. It's it's what you make of it. And you have to be the, you know, the the king or the queen or the, you know, whatever, the, the leader of your own, you're your own cheerleader. Nobody else is going to cheerlead you. And and sort of my style comes out of that, using myself as my own archive and, and fictionalizing those experiences and using, you know, what I know best, which is, you know, other media to, um, you know, play with, to interject in, in those forms that become a kind of cultural, you know, language to people who follow, you know, different forms of media like television or um you know, Instagram, TikTok or whatnot, where you're, you know, you use the cultural, you know, things to, you know, invert them and flip them on themselves and, and bring audiences in. So that's sort of what the documentary came from. That's where that work comes from and why I want to use myself in my work. Um, and also goes back to Audre Lorde. Um, she did a, uh, wrote a book called uh, Zami, A New Spelling of My Name, and she called it a biomythography. And that was written in 82. And I gobbled that up as a young Cheryl. 
you know, growing up in Philly, trying to find my black lesbian, you know, queer self as whole um, woman, you know, political. And, and she just said it was a myth already. And you're in the myth making of yourself to be yourself. And I was just like, oh, shit. Okay. How am I going to live that? And, you know, she said, do your work or you, you know, so I I take those truths as, you know, self-evident for myself, you know, in my own constitution. And here I am. And here you are. I'm here. I I think, yeah. I mean, I, if I think about what you're talking about and apply it to music, I think there's a lot of, there's certainly a lot of myth-making that goes on in, in lyrics. Um, There's a lot of, history and archival stuff to be mined from from mm-hmm. from the music that we listen to. So um, I know that you were one of Barshiru's selectors. You were in the Selector Series last year, um, which means you got to play uh, the records of your choosing for the evening. I'm, I'm bummed I missed out on that. But um, can you tell, did you, what did you play mostly? Did, tell me about your record collection. Did you bring stuff from your own collection or? I did not. I was able to have access to the deep list that's here, uh, you know, they have a list of, I don't know, what, thousands of titles uh, mm-hmm. of albums. And I was just, you know, that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. have all that access. I mean, I have, you know, a, a decent library on my, um, you know, uh, Spotify or in other places, but I don't have what Barshiro has. Yeah. Uh, Wendy Win- Renee or, you know, just this going the Fela stuff and, you know, just, hella throwback to um, periods that I, you know, that made me. Yeah. So um, I am so excited about uh, the opportunity to, you know, touch that archive and 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 make people feel and, and feel the way that I felt from the beginning of the needle dropped on it to the end of that first side or the second side if you decide to play the whole thing. And it's just spiritual, you know, yeah. it's just a spiritual um, practice. And then you had a little liquor and some friends in, some dark lights. It's a whole other story. Right yeah. There. It's magic. Right, right, it's all magic. Right. right. Um, generally speaking, do you, do you see any parallels between the music that you like to listen to and the films you like to make? Or is there any kind of influence, direct influence from the music that that shaped you into your filmmaking style? You know, that's interesting. Uh, the Watermelon Woman started with a piece of, you know, classical music. And as a child, as an infant, my father was, we were still living in Liberia and um, in Monrovia, and he was in a car accident the same week that I was born. Um, and he was recovering um, that uh, my mom was sort of working again or taking care of my brother who was seven years older than me and doing whatever, you know, being the, the woman that she is. Um, and my father in his recovery would be listening to classical music. It would be rocking me his, his arms to, you know, quiet me or whatever. And I would, that was the first kind of music that I heard beyond, you know, whatever was on the streets and in the sounds of the house. So those, those, those kind of beats, um, that kind of rhythm, that syncopation uh, of, of, of classical Bach, you know, and, you know, Beethoven and Mozart and Vivaldi and all those sort of things are in my ear, in my bones. So there's a vibration there for those type of things. Um, so I, I still listen to, um, classical music regularly and it calms me down. Yeah. <laughs> I just really, really like that stuff. Um, I, I wonder if you, you know, I think I, I sort of alluded to this before. Like, do you ever think of certain songs, if there's certain songs that are like, I don't know if you're, are you more of a lyrics person or a beats person 
or if, you know, lyrically speaking, if you ever think of certain songs as a sort of dunya mentry, like a particular artist that speaks from their experience, but couched as, you know, a story about something else, like if you've ever thought about it that way. Well, I think about, you know, certain songs serve certain emotional moments and, you know, the 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 way that the the song is constructed, the instruments coming in and out, the pauses, you know, how the syncopation, how fast or how slow it's going, you know, the, the long lead in and, and hooking you there and, and you know, taking you through, uh, you know, uh, I'll use a, a filmic reference here, like a Fantasia type of moment of, of, of you know, going low or high um, is the way that I like thinking about my moods and the music that I play. Um, and I also, I'm not necessarily in pop cultural music, except for, uh, you know, sort of her or, you know, people like that, you know, listening to more contemporary folks, Beyonce, you know, even a little swift moment, uh, just to hear what's going on, to c- connect with the youth. <laughs> but but for the most part, I, I live in my own, you know, again, archive and my own um, nostalgia for, uh, and my own, like, it takes me someplace else. You know, music can take you to, um, uh, especially during COVID, it was so great to deep dive then. And we went around the world, um, my wife and I, listening to, you know, music from you know, a variety of whirling dervishes and, and just all these kind of crazy time periods we were listening to and just having, you know, rich meals and trying to stay in and, and active, but but cooking a lot and then having yeah. these elaborate scores to what we were doing. Um, so I, I feel that's how music is stamped through the experiences that you want to have or that you are, you know, feeling. They, they sort of allow the, you know, I don't know. I don't know the words for it, really. I, I can only talk in visual ways, but I think this is, you know, music is music. Yeah, it's its own language. Mm. So let's dive into your archive a little bit. Um, sure. So, uh, yeah, in this uh, very special episode, Cheryl has curated a list of five of her favorite songs of the moment. Um, so here is a taste of selection number one. I swear you were not my ambition. Okay, from British singer-songwriter Joan Armitrading. That's a song called Cool Blue Stole My Heart, released 1975. Cheryl, what do you want to tell us about this song? Oh, Joan Armitrading. Gosh. I mean, people forget about this woman. I mean, Joan... It's true. Um, uh, ...was the kind of... It was the pure lesbian music of the, you know, a certain time period of the 70s for... for even though it was rumored that she was or wasn't, um, you know, so many um, 
lesbian get-togethers. When I was young, I mean, I, I came out at, you know, I was always out, really. Uh-huh. But I, I, I came into a sort of lesbian feminist world that was going on, black and white, different colors of it. And this is played at every, you know, dance party or women's social. <laughs> these are the yeah. things that was all, I mean, you know, there's, there's, you know, lesbian concentrate, all these kind of other artists who were on the moment. But when, when you know, she came on, it was like the deepness of her voice, her kind of Caribbean, you know, accents and syncopations. Um, and, and this album is just about, you know, emotion and, and, and love. And, yeah. And, and who's feeling. cool blue? Um, <laughs> cool, uh, who's cool, everybody has their own cool blue. Long, dark, you know, cool. Yeah. And, it, and she didn't even write it, you know. She didn't. She wasn't like oh, it's not a her big song. Fan. It's not her song, but uh, everything else on the album is. There, I, I think maybe there's another song that's not hers. But um, when she plays it live, too, there's a when when you're and I've seen her perform too. It's one of those concerts that everybody in the audience knows each other or slept with each other. Yeah. <laughs> and and then you get up and you're clapping, <laughs> and you sit back down after she does something. It was amazing. She still performs. Yeah. But Joan is like that secret lesbian, black lesbian concentrate. <laughs> for a certain generation of, uh, you know, lesbians, uh, lesbian feminists, lesbians who, you know, gathered in women's spaces when when lesbian feminisms had a cultural um, uh, novels, bookstores, poetry, music, you know, places, restaurants. Um, the late 70s was where it, where it was. And, and this was sort of the sound of it um, or one of the sounds of it. So um, it takes me back. And though I was not there, I was like, you know, coming into that and, and seeing that as, as my, you know, this is the culture that I, these are the people that I want to go out with. Oh, my God. <laughs> but um, this is the music I did like. And this is what I enjoyed. And, um, uh, and I always go back to, you know, she's one of my favorite, you know, Way before Tracy, way yeah. before Michelle and Dango Cello, you know, playing with that deep vocal, you know, is on a mixing and she plays her own. I mean, she's brilliant. She's just brilliant. So, yeah. Right there, dropping on armor training. I've only known a handful of her songs. Uh, Drop the Pilot, mm-hmm. um, uh, Love and Affection, and uh, Call, oh, Call Me Names. Just, call like, me names. I think I yes. know her like from the 80s yep. because of MTV because they played some of her videos. Yep. Um, but she has like been consistently like writing and recording and performing for decades. She still is. She's still out there. I know that she played with Lil Sims on stage at the BAFTAs last year. Mm -hmm. So she's still relevant and just so cool. And I'm just one of, I, you know, I feel like I should know more of her stuff because she's, she's up there in terms of like her talent and her range. She's mm-hmm. folky and bluesy. Yep. And she kind of did that new wave pop rock thing in the 80s. Yep. So she can do that just like, <laughs> a, she can pivot just like any other artist, um, which is awesome. So. And the yeah. long lead of this song, I mean, you're like there just waiting for it to happen. And she just brings it. I like, I like, wait. You're like, come on, come on. I mean, so many, I mean, you know, so many people have used this, you know, and, and, and she's used somebody else. What can I say? She's probably yeah. used a classical syncopation or something from the island, you know, or wherever she's from. But that that lead in just kind of, you know, you're hooked. And then it's like, goes somewhere else. Um, I don't know. It's a little hokey, but it, it makes me feel good. If it makes you feel good. You got to feel it's, it. It's gotta, you got to feel it. 
all right, you ready to talk about your second song? Sure. Let's let's you wanna hit it? Yeah. All right, that's a lovely piano piece from Canadian musician Chili Gonzalez. This is from his 2004 album Solo Piano. The song is Gol Gol. Uh, I have a feeling our producer Kate is going to love this one because she she just loves pianists of all kinds. Um, mm. But Cheryl, tell us why you love it. Again, a feeling. Um, I, I like music that's emotional. I mean, this is like score-ish, you know, mm-hmm. in, that, in the way that it, it, it rolls out. Um, you know, something you really want to, I mean, first off, the name Chili Gonzalez it doesn't fit the person who it is, but no, it's it, not his real name. <laughs> I know, right? But it's just, um, you know, Jason is is his name, but whatever, whoever yeah. you want to be, he became this, and the feeling that he brings with his composition and his playing, um, it just is strong. It's just a strong emotional statement. You know, it's, it's 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 his career spans genres, but but this one is is just. Like beautiful, I, I I don't know how it just makes me feel something. Yeah, you know, you want to go feel something, put this on. Yeah, you tend to put his music on when when you're doing what? Um, I, thinking about film, thinking about score, thinking about big wide, thinking about the wide cinematic uh, possibilities of uh, you know we're we're so used to um, watching on smaller devices right now. Yeah. And looking at our little TVs on the wall. But when you get to project something really big, when you think of something big scale on a, on a wall that's projected on a big screen and you have like a great soundtrack that's just going to move with the camera and the characters are moving big wide and or feeling something big and just going at it and it just comes at you, that's this is what you feel. This, this yeah. is coming at you. It's coming at you big wide. And you, it, you remember that it's big. Life is big, and, and we should not live with small, small strokes of our, ourselves. And, and you just you got to dive into those darker moments and, and pull something else out. It is big. It's, it's big and cinematic, but and yet so short. That's only like a two-minute piece. I know. It's very concentrated emotion I there. Know. Uh, all right. Are we ready for some classic bossa nova? Because that's what Cheryl has lined up for us next. <laughs> All right, that's the late Brazilian jazz singer Elise Regina. Uh, I think that's from 1968. Uh, my Portuguese is not so great, but I think that's pronounced Upa Neguino. Yes, Upa Neguino. Okay. Um, the whole Bossa Nova sound fascinated me as a young Cheryl and even to my early work. I think She Don't Fade has me um, having a fantasy to 
I, I don't remember what Bossa Nova singer is in that clip, and I should know, but that makes you go look at the work. She Don't Fade is also on the Criterion Collection. Um, I made this, you know, an, an experiment at grad school um, that ended up becoming a piece that I think showed it, like the Whitney, or I don't remember where it showed, you know, some some place where it was bigger than just my sort of playing around and, and filming experimentally what I was into. Um, and this is a different version of it, though. I mean, yeah. she's been singing this song for quite some time. And when you hear this this mix with... Um, it's just it's just an odd take of it. It's yeah. still there, but it has all these other like spices, like a, a you know, like a, a fruit loaf, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of dry fruit here. I mean, I only talk things in other ways than what they are. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. That's the way you have to talk about. Yeah, music. I mean, music is its own language. It's, it's, its own. Language. It's very hard to yeah. So this one just gives you a little extra. You know, I mean, Elsano is already there as this charming cocktaily high you know like it's a very effort, effervescent and and um with the vocals you're kind of bubbling a little bit but then this takes you it adds a little bit of jazz and it adds a little bit of you know four other instruments in there for a quick moment to lead you into an accent what she she brings to the song and there's just the tempo of it is so unusual and just her vocal phrasing especially towards the end when she's when she's doing the scatting is just Oh, wow. Just wow. <laughs> you just want to move your body, you know? Do song. you know anything about what the song means or what it's about? Um, no. I'm, I, again, these are, these are songs of the moment. These are songs of the moment. So did, did you find out a little bit more? Um, a little bit. Um, what, what I've read is that it, I guess it's a song about a young black child in Brazil who— I. But I guess it's generally about black culture in Brazil. Oh, God, of course. Um, See, I knew. But about, a, you know, a young black child who is going to face hardship and discrimination, but an aspirational song, I guess, about growing up to be strong and resilient. Oh, Lord. Which is what I think, that, that's, that's one interpretation of what I, that the song is about. Um, and then there were some other discussions about whether that word Nagino is... Is it just an outdated and racially insensitive word, or do people use it anymore? But I don't know enough about Brazilian culture to I. really speak on that. But I just thought it was a very interesting um, topic, and the, and the, you know it's been covered so many times, um, and yep. that that version in particular is just it's so beautiful. It's a rare version. Um, write in about that, folks. Write in if you know a little bit more about that, because I'd love to know, like. Again, there's an intuition to this list and what do I what I hear and what I've heard and what I play. And I think there was an intuition about the story and about feeling that. Like, you you feel it differently um, and all, all these years. And you just kind of, you know, you got to move through it, right? So that this is a song. Most of my songs, most of them, are about celebrating, um, you know, whatever you're, you know, celebrating survival. Yeah. You know, celebrating, you know, moving on, just moving on. You gotta yeah. keep moving. Well, let's let's uh let's talk about surviving uh drugs <laughs> because I think that's kind of what the next song is about. Though it is instrumental, let's just hear a little bit.
this is the instrumental version of Serious Drug by Wild Cookie, um, which is actually the project of a Swedish producer DJ who went by the name Freddy Krueger, uh, who unfortunately passed away in 2022. Um, but anyway, um, the non-instrumental version uh, has lyrics about um, cocaine and the dangers of doing it, I guess. Uh, anyway, Cheryl, what do you, what do you want to tell us about this song? Cocaine's a hell of a drug. It certainly is. It's a hell of a drug. We know what these moments are, everybody. We know what these moments are. Um, and we know the feelings that, I mean, I just think it's a cool little, it's just a little, it's just like a little evening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll just call it a little evening treat. Because it's so well produced. It's such a little, you know, blip of a project um, that uh, I, I just dig it. You know, again, most of my stuff is just what I dig. And yeah. um, I don't know. What do you think about it? I mean, I, 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 was, I, was, I, I also dig it. I mean, why I Why do I you think, dig it? Uh, I, I can dig it. <laughs> can you? I, like, I like the piano riff. I like how it kind of has a little bit of um, a Latin kind of South American mm -hmm. flavor to it. Mm -hmm. it. It's a groove. It kind of sets you in, you know, you're in a pocket. You're in a zone with it. Um, I want more. That's what yeah. I can tell you. I really want more, like, it to be the, the extended version. But I could see how it can get on your nerves, you know. <laughs> it, would, it would be too long. Which is cocaine. <laughs> That's what I've heard. The experience is Does cocaine. he mention Rick James in the lyrics? I don't remember. I know. But. I know. That's why I didn't choose me. <laughs> All right. Let's... Anyway, let's move on. Moving on. <laughs> We've we've come to your final song selection. Uh, we are going to close it out with some gospel. Like a Ship from Pastor T.L. Barrett and the Youth for Christ Choir. This is from 1971. Uh, Cheryl, tell us what the song means to you. I can make it and I can take it. Gosh, this song just, uh, it makes the sun come out. You know how those songs make the sun come out? You know, mm -hmm. you stand up and it's like rainy and, and then you can just move. Like, I, I, I mean, I was raised a Catholic. Um, I, you know, formed my own religion through my, you know, politics, my practice and, you know, who I loved and what, you know, what I was loving, whatever. And here I have constructed my own faith uh, about the world and, you know, who we are and, you know, a moral code. Um, but it's, there's a spirit to it. You have to yeah. remember that they're, they're gods and goddesses and priests and priestesses and all those things that do, if you believe in them, things will change. You know, if you give gifts to all that surrounds you um, and are grateful, this is gratitude, not attitude. And this song, just with the chorus of the kids and and just sailing through, you know, this this song is. I play this every Sunday morning. This really? Is my church. I, this is my church. Yep. I I'm I'm not gonna say that 
today is Sunday, which it is. <laughs> um, and I did play it while I had my breakfast. And I stood up and the sun came out here in Oakland. So... I can, yeah, I can hear how that song would do it for you. Mm. That's interesting. You were raised Catholic, so you didn't really, you didn't grow up with gospel music per nope. se. Nope. Yeah. Amanos Domini, Latin business, and uh, Victoria, like craziness. So, I mean, again, it's it's a mixed bag of things, and you, I think it, I grew up with experiences, and on experiences, on experiences, and lives lived, and that's how you make music. And that's how you become a writer, a storyteller, an artist. You have to live life and have those experiences. You have to seek outside of your existence. And no matter where you are and what you, you know, are raised in and how settled you are, there's some place for you to expand and grow. And music is a, a wonderful place to start. Um, but you have to then move your body and move your life to have those experiences, to be able to be an artist and, and tell a story, right? You can't just keep talking about the same thing. And though Pastor is still in Chicago, uh -huh. still, still know, around, still around, still doing the thing, um, but this is the heyday of, this is what, you know, brought, you know, his music to the map in the 70s, um, in the early 70s. And you think about the world had just, you know, recovered from burning cities and, and all of our, our political leaders, you know, slaughtered and killed. There's war going on. There's, you know, so many things going, you know, wrong with the world at that time for this this chorus of children and a, a preacher to, you know, stand up and, and, and a pastor just leading them through song, just leading them through song. And you feel it. You feel the sway. You feel this... I, I can't even talk about it because it is Sunday and I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm ready to go back and play it on the way home. Uh, well, it, it's interesting because I think he must have, I mean, the kind of sway that he had, uh, here's who I read who have been in his uh, congregation, Maurice White and Philip Bailey of Earth, Wind and Fire mm -hmm. and Donnie Hathaway. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, music really is a gift that perpetuates itself and... I mean, what else can you say about it? What else can you say? And and he became a pastor in the year of my birth, 1966. So that also is, 66 is a magical year. 71 is a magical year in music, I think. It it's, was. It's, 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 a lot of good albums lot came out in 1971. Stuff, right? Yeah. A lot of good stuff in 71. 79, 82, there's, there's things to be said about things that are happening. Oh, yeah. Well, the new wave. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, we can keep on and uh, we can write about it. So please do write in. Please do comment uh, about this selection and... Um, uh, yes. Your thoughts about musical moments and years and, and feelings and, 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 and the great big wide of, of sound and vision. Yeah, I hope, we get a, I hope we get a lot of questions and reactions for this one because uh, these were great selections. So thanks for talking to me about these songs. Before I wrap up, though, um, I know you've got some Jingle Town projects, I think, under development and probably lots of other things on the horizon. So is there anything you can tell us about? Sure. An, a local Oakland celebrity in her own right, Jewel Gomez, who wrote the, the novel, wonderful, wonderful, speculative, vampire, queer, black, lesbian novel, The Gilda Stories that I read in the early 90s and fell in love with. Um, Jingle Town is developing it into uh, for the screen. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, she gets bit in 18 
um, the 18, late 1800s. And then we follow her and she shows up in different political periods throughout uh, social justice history, like in the uh, the twenties and the thirties, and um, she shows up in in New York in the early seventies. Uh, we follow her to twenty twenty, which Joel had spot on of her experiences. She she already had the the iPhone down before it was even invented when she wrote wow. this in the nineties um, to twenty fifty. So we when I read it, I was just like Joel, I. Uh, <laughs> and therefore, how had uh, no one developed this before? I, exactly. So, um, who likes who like who doesn't like a vampire, especially if she's black and queer, right? Yeah, black queer vampire, and also uh, sci-fi futuristic stuff with it. social justice mixed in. All of it. All of it. All of it. Sounds great. Sign me up. I'll sounds watch it. Sounds <laughs> like a great thing. It sounds like a lot of songs could be in it too, right? Yeah. So give me your vampire track, yo. <laughs> Send me some vampire hits. I'll start thinking of some stuff for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Cheryl Dunye, everyone. Amazing to have you on the show. Uh, we're going to post some links to Cheryl's songs in our show notes in case you want to listen to them in their full glory. Uh, that's it for this edition of Select 5, but we're going to be back soon enough. Don't you worry. This podcast is lovingly handmade by producer Kate Sullivan, technical producer Brian Douglas, and yours truly. We want to thank Dan Gar and Shireen Raza, the owners of Barshiru, for providing us this wonderful space to record. And we want to thank you, our loyal listeners. This is Pam Torno signing off for now. Catch you next time. <laughs>